Good evening everyone. Tonight's reading is from Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 30, through to chapter 10, verse 4. Romans 9, verse 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not obtained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, everybody. This evening we're looking at a very important passage from Romans chapter 9, starting at verse 30 to 10.4. And in it, uh, Paul talks about what is saving faith? What is it that puts us right with God? This week I was reading a, a pamphlet written by a man who's brought up in a very caring Buddhist home. He became a Christian, but he teaches that Buddhism emphasizes the importance of forsaking all evils and only practicing what is good. The motivation for this is the, the fact that every person goes through three phases of life, the past, the present and the future. And the law of karma, the law of cause and effect, results in where we go in the next stage of life, in the reincarnation. Do I become a frog? Or is it nirvana? Now because of this pe teaching, people are afraid of doing evil, since it would mean suffering in the next reincarnation. Now, in our passage, Paul takes on this sort of thinking. He reminds people that in order to be right with God, to be saved, we have to be made righteous. But God's answer is very different to that of Buddhism or Judaism or even liberal Christianity. The status of being right with God can only be a gift. None of us can ever be good enough for God. This emphasis on righteousness is very clear. If you look at our passage, the word is mentioned six times. It's very similar in Romans chapter 1, a classic verse in uh, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
So the vital question is, what is faith? Just because I put Christian on the hospital questionnaire form, or put C of E, Roman Catholic, Baptist, or whatever, does that mean I've got a saving faith? Well, the Bible's very clear, no. Unless I have the marks of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in me, I don't have the Holy Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, I'm not saved. Look at our passage, uh, John uh, chapter 9, sorry, Romans chapter 9, verse 30. This distinguishes living by faith to living by rules. The Jews tried to live by rules. They hoped that in this way they would please God. But it can never give them the righteousness that's needed to be acceptable to God. Only perfection is acceptable to him. Today there are many people who say, I believe the Christian creeds, I go to church, I believe the Bible, I pray, I try to follow what Jesus says. Compared to most, they say I, I'm a moral person. But can you see that is not saving faith? We Christians, we have to beware. Because we can think that, rather like the religious people in Jesus' day. See, they were sincere, they were zealous, but they didn't have the righteousness that's needed for admission into God's presence. Remember what Jesus said to the religious leaders who admired Jesus? In Luke 13, uh, he warns them, he says, uh, many people will try to enter heaven and will say, Sir, open the door to us. But he will answer, verse 25, I don't know you. He repeats this, verse 27, I don't know you. But we ate and drank with you. I don't know you. And later in, in Luke 18, do you remember the story? Jesus answered to those who were confident of their own righteousness. He tells the story of a Pharisee and a publican who go to the temple to pray. The publican says, Oh God, I thank you, I'm, I'm not like other men. And the tax collector, he just says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And who does Jesus say went away justified? Now look, look down at our passage here. Uh, Romans 9.33 Who will be saved? The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Look at the next paragraph, 10, 10 verses 1 to 4. It's all about salvation. Verse 1, he asks the question, what is saving faith? Paul is longing that the religious people of his day should be saved. How are people saved? Only by a personal trust and faith in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. 
Now that word, the end of the law, could be taken in two ways. It could mean cessation, that there's no longer a place for this, for God's law. But it can't be the meaning here, because the law describes the character of God, and that never changes. What he hates in the Old Testament remains the same. He, he hates sexual promiscuity, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. He loves marriages. He hates dishonesty. And this hasn't changed. The Ten Commandments still reveal the, the mind of God. But the word end can also mean culmination. Our hopeless efforts to be good enough for God can only end because of Christ's free gift to his people. Christ is the end of the law. He's the finale. This is one of the great differences between Roman Catholicism and biblical Christianity. In Roman Catholicism, a person is baptised and is so made one of God's people. But it's then taught that it's the way people live, that it's their righteousness that wins them credit with God. So people are fearful not to go regularly to confession, not to go to the Mass, the, uh, the, the repeated sacrifice, supposedly, of Christ. They, they think it's man's righteousness that gains God's approval once you're in the church. But no, Christ is the end of the law. Even for church people, whether we're Anglican, Catholic, nonconformist, FIEC, we are saved because of our relationship with Jesus. He's our ticket. Look at verse 33, 9.33. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There are Christians who consider that uh, because they try to serve God zealously, God owes them something. They think, he really ought to answer our prayers. No. The great Bible teacher Oswald Chambers, he said this, Faith is my, for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means that whether I'm visibly delivered or my problem solved or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things that are only learned in the fiery furnace, he said. See, love for Jesus is the key. How do we glorify God? We must know and love Jesus personally. Allow ourselves to be drawn to him, to know him truly. That is to value him duly. It's this affection for Jesus that's the key to salvation. If our concept of Jesus is right, then we will love and follow him through thick and thin. It's this affection for Jesus that is the key to salvation. If our concept of Jesus is right, then we'll love and follow him through thick and thin.
In the book of Revelation, John shares his vision of heaven. There's Jesus' centre stage. And he's sitting there, equal with his Father. If we grasp who he is, and that he's going to welcome us into his home, we'll follow and obey him. This is why we've got to be aware of, of cheap, superficial evangelism that's not centred on persuading him who the historic Jesus is. There used to be a term, uh, power evangelism. It's very different to the way the apostles uh, tried to evangelise. They persuaded, they pleaded, they argued. And as a result, they were persecuted. Getting the message about Jesus was what they insisted was evangelism. So our job as Christians today is to pass on the message about God and Jesus to other people. Everybody needs to understand about God. The recent Word Live broadcast that we had from David Cook, if you've not seen them, please do go back to them. Uh, they're on Proverbs. They're absolutely brilliant. They're so easy to listen to. One of the talks was on uh, God's insight into sexual morality. How people are so easily seduced and full short, full for short-term pleasures when wisdom calls us to make a priority of living closely with God. You know, Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, here it is again. It's that personal knowledge, that loving relationship that's the key to all of life. So our teaching must explain who God is so that we come before him every day asking for forgiveness for our failures and asking for a desire to love him more and more. You see, my next heading is zeal without salvation. This is very possible. Look at verse 2, uh, 10 verse 2. It's a shocking statement. People can have a zeal for God even holding orthodox religious belief, and not be saved. Can you doubt that Islamic suicide bombers don't have a zeal for God? But are they going to be saved? The Bible's clear they won't. Their faith is not based on truth, and we worship God in truth. And verse 2 here, it's based on knowledge. Now, 10 verse 1, Jews are not saved because they're, uh, they're Jewish in their pedigree. Salvation's never come that way. God's plan is not to re-establish Israel and to build another temple in the promised land, just as the British Israelites sort of teach. I was talking to a group of students and they're saying this is coming back. But that's not what the Bible teaches. All people of every nation, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, 
should become members and can become members of God's eternal kingdom, whose king is Jesus Christ, God's only son. This is how Jews will be saved. It's only if they trust in Jesus. Look at 10 verse 2. This needs to sink in. Being zealous for God is not sufficient for salvation. Now that's just as true for us as evangelicals as anyone else. We can be full of zeal and not yet saved. Salvation changes our whole lives. A person can be a professional clergyman, a church elder, and not be saved. Zeal, even with good theology, does not equate with salvation. Righteousness is a gift of God. It's the presence of God's Spirit in us that's the evidence that we've been given this righteousness. But just as zeal is no evidence of salvation, salvation will always lead to zeal. The Bible puts a very high premium on zeal. Indeed, being zealous for Christ is the evidence that the Spirit of Christ is in us. Do you remember the church at Laodicea uh, in Revelation chapter 3? Doctrinally orthodox, but they felt nothing for Jesus. Their love was words. It was tepid. And Jesus says to them, Behold, I stand. Open the door. This confirms that the key to salvation is having Jesus at the centre of our lives, not theology, not good religious practices. If we are zealous for Christ, then our spirit will boil over, bubbling, overflowing with God. Yeah, in, later in Romans, Romans 12, uh, it describes the effects that this relationship with Jesus will have. Uh, Paul writes, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's very different to the Laodicean church. You see, zealous Christians are always serving Jesus. They want to talk about him. They want to please him. It's so easy to have you know, revival meetings where it's common practice for people to be stirred up emotionally. But such uh, meetings and the enthusiasm is, is short-lasting. True revival is a work of God when a, a sleepy, selfish group of people, a congregation, wakes up to the reality and the glory of God as it's seen in Jesus. And their lives are radically changed. See, my last point is that love for Jesus is the heart of true zeal. Look, look at 10.4. To believe in Christ is to love him, to be zealous for him. The, the closing words of uh, Paul's first letter to the troubled church at Corinth are quite stunning. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. 
If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be accursed. Come, Lord. It doesn't say believe in the Lord. He says love the Lord. Loving Jesus is, is not the icing on the cake. It is Christianity. Without it, we are cursed. Love is so much more than an emotional feeling or an attachment. But at this point, someone may reply, yes, but Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So isn't keeping his commandments the same as loving Jesus? The answer is no. Jesus distinguishes the two. Love must be first. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love for Jesus is what is vital. And this will be seen in the fruit of the Spirit, in the obedience that's there. Do you remember the last words that Jesus said to Peter at the end of John's Gospel? Simon, do you love me? Again, Simon, do you love me? And a third time, Simon, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You see, the evidence of love will be that service. How our churches need to be shocked out of a neutral, lukewarm, non-zealous religiosity. When Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and with all your mind. Matthew 22. So can I ask, on behalf of the Lord Jesus, do we love him? Is he my hope, my affection? Or deep down, am I relying on who I am and what I do for God? At the beginning of the last century, in the Sino-Russian War, uh, a Japanese statesman said this, We Japanese do not worship our emperor. We love him utterly. The commander, he said, before the uh, Port Arthur, some battle there, uh, called for volunteers to cut the barbed wire entanglements. And he said bluntly to them, you will never come back. You will take your place and cut one or two wires and fall dead. Another will take your place and cut one or two wires more. But you will know, uh, you will know that upon your dead bodies, the armies of your emperor will march to victory. And then this celebrated statesman said this. Whole regiments volunteered for this sure death. And then he concluded, if you Christians loved your God as much as we love our emperor, they would have long since taken the world for Christ. Oswald Chambers, again the great Bible teacher, he emphasised this. The surest sign that God has done a work of grace in my heart is that I love Jesus Christ best, not weakly, faintly, not intellectually, 
but passionately and devotedly, overwhelming every other love of my life. Should we pray? Lord, we thank you very much that you have such a love for us. You came and died for us. Lord, help us not to rely on our religion and our theology and our churchmanship, but to have such a passionate love for the Lord Jesus that we want to serve you for the rest of our life here until we meet you and hear you say to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Be with each one of us, we pray. Fill us again with your Spirit, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.